You're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. Here we are in Acts Part 10. Uh, The other day, Kelly said to me as we're sitting on the couch, can you uh, just grab me a paper towel or toilet paper or a napkin or something? I said, why, what's going on? She said, I just have some gum and I just want to throw it out. And I had my, my cup there, which I had finished using. And I just said, I just throw it in the cup. It's no big deal. And um, about two hours later, I went and got some water and uh, filled up the cup. And uh, I, I took a sip and I was like, man, I need to change the filter on this fridge, man. It tastes like, I was like, gum, no. And there it was. And you're all like, and why do we let this guy lead the church? Like, right? It's like, <laughs> Simple things, friends. But I was a little surprised that was in there, man. And, you know, as we've been going through the book of Acts, there have been some things that I've seen in here that I'm like, I'm a little surprised that's in there. You know, like it's hit me, and God's been using it in my life, and I pray that the same will be true of you here today. And so, you know what we've been doing? We've been asking questions as we go through the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to jump into a few questions today. The first one is, why would I believe that Jesus is back from the dead? And what does his death and resurrection do for me? And some of you are going, Doug, you keep on talking about this as we're going through this series. Well, that's because this keeps coming up in the book of Acts, and we're going through the book of Acts. And every time the apostles were preaching to somebody, they knew someone in the crowd needed these questions answered. And so we're going to continue to bring this up as we go. And it's cool because there's different evidences of Jesus' resurrection throughout the book of Acts. Like the thing I'm going to bring up today isn't necessarily what we brought up last time that we tackled that. And so we'll do that as well. Also, question number two, am I really forgiven of all my sins, even the worst of them? I think a lot of us theologically, mentally know, yes, we're forgiven of all of our sins. But let me ask you a question. Did you lay your head on your pillow this week knowing and living in the full truth that all of your sins are forgiven? I don't think we do. Did you work this week? Did you enjoy summer vacation kids this week knowing that all of your sins are forgiven? Or are there some things that you look back at and you're like, yeah, I know like 99% of them feel forgiven, but there's that 1% that don't feel forgiven. There's that one month. There's that one set of years. Those don't feel forgiven. Those choices that I made. And so we're going to work through that. Question number three kind of just takes us to a new place here. And the question is, you're not calling me a sinner, are you? Maybe some of you are here today saying, wait, 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 wait. So uh, you're talking forgiveness, but then that means I've probably committed sin and maybe I'm still kind of doing some of that. And so what are you calling me to here, Doug? Some of you are thinking, I'm just going to kind of keep on living. And if I can add a little Jesus into what I'm already doing, and that's great. Um, But I don't think I'm the problem here. You know, I think that other people are the problem and the world's brokenness is the problem. But I don't think I'm the problem here. Isn't that funny how we never think we're the problem, right? Uh, a few weeks ago, I took one of our computers back up to the property for our seven o'clock service, and uh, we, we use it in both locations. And so every Sunday, we have to take the computer, the keyboard, and the mouse, which is wireless, up to the property and give it to the 7 p.m. volunteer, and they do their thing. And so I delivered it as promised, and the other day, one of the volunteers says, Doug, there's no mouse. Like, I have the computer, and I have the keyboard, and the computer is sensing that the mouse is nearby, but I don't actually have the mouse, and I need the mouse clearly. So I was on like a hunt for the mouse. I'm going all through the property. I'm back out to my car. I'm searching under my seats for the mouse. I just couldn't find it. And I came to the conclusion that somebody must have messed with it since I brought it. You know, like I definitely wasn't the problem here. And I believed that until I reached my hand in my pocket to get my phone. And there was the mouse the entire time. Once again, yes, you let me lead this church, right? I know. Very scary. But it's not normal for us to think, yeah, there's something wrong with me. Often it's them and them and them. But man, is there anything in our lives that we need to say, Lord, here's some stuff. Here's some sin. Let's just call it what it is. Here's some sin. 
And I don't want to continue on, and it was it looked like to walk through that. And then lastly, this question is huge today. How do I handle what other people think of me? Okay? In, in a large sense, I think this affects us sharing our faith a lot. Like, we get rejected because we shared our faith, and then we stop sharing our faith. I know that I can be guilty of that. Or just general rejection. Someone said something, did something, and I don't know how to process that. Or even under that idea of other people's opinions, even the praise sometimes people give us. Like, are we careful how we process that so our head doesn't blow up and inflate, right? And we have to be so careful. So what do I do with other people and their opinions of me? And I pray today, whether you're a Christian or not, that you're going to be encouraged by what we hear, and you're going to be equipped to kind of face some of this stuff and take some steps forward. So we're in the book of Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? All right, good job. Last week, Pastor Brabone did an awesome job, and he led us right up to this point. We're going to jump in at Acts 13, 13. So read with me. It says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Persia, they went to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue. So picture this. They've done a bunch of traveling. Now they're going to enter the synagogue or the Jewish place of worship. And it says, they sat down, and after the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. So in that culture, it was customary for a visiting rabbi to be given the privilege of coming up and saying something if the rabbi there allowed them to. And so the rabbi there sees Paul and says, hey, if you guys want to come say something, then go for it. He didn't realize what he was getting himself into, right? I mean, they basically just gave Paul a mic, and he preaches this amazingly powerful message. I'll give you some of the, the points that he hits. He talks about the Israelites in Egypt and how God led them out. He talks about how patient God was with the people in the wilderness for 40 years. He talks about how God overthrew seven nations to get the Israelites into their land, how he gave them judges and kings. Then he fast forwards to Jesus, and he talks about how Jesus was executed and placed in the grave, but how he rose from the dead. And I want you to see what he says here in this next part, which answers our first question. Why would I believe that Jesus is back from the dead? And what does his death and resurrection do for me? Let's get into it. Verse 36. Now when David, everybody say David. When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. The one whom God raised from the dead, did not see decay. Okay, so what does it mean when it says that David fell asleep? What did it mean in the Bible to say you fell asleep? Okay, you're dead, right? So that'll teach you all to fall asleep on me in church, okay? So be careful, all right? Be careful, all right? But Paul says David died and was placed in the grave, and he stayed in the grave. But Jesus was placed in the grave, and he rose back from the dead. And we've done whole series on how we know Jesus is alive. But one of the ways we know here, if I can answer this question quickly, is that the apostles lived in a time when they could go to Jesus' graveside themselves. They could go to the tomb. And if you visited David's tomb and you opened it, you'd find a decaying corpse. But if you all go and look in Jesus' tomb, it was empty. And these are eyewitnesses saying that they've seen these things and that they would die for these things. And so Jesus raised back from the dead and he wants to change our lives. And my advice to you is this. If you're trying to figure out in life what to do and who to follow, go with the guy who came back from the dead, okay? Just saying, that's a good, safe thing. But what does, if Jesus is alive, and if you're not convinced on that, by the way, I'd love to talk with you more. Again, we've done 10-part series on all this. But if you're not convinced, let's talk. But if you are like, well, what, what, if, he, if he even was back from the dead, what would that do for me? Verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, everybody say forgiveness, 
Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Everybody say every sin. A justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's saying, look, you guys tried to save yourself under the law of Moses. You couldn't do it. But Jesus came to forgive us of every sin. So what does Jesus' death and resurrection do for me? It frees me of all my sin. And we can't let that get old, church, right? I was just listening to an interview this past week of a celebrity from the late 70s who uh, was a huge rock star in the late 70s, got completely stuck and addicted to cocaine and alcohol and either quit or was fired from his band and was going to take his life. And so he uh, made it clear that he was done with life. His wife, who had just become a Christian, said, before you do anything, just come with me and talk to my pastor. Dangerous move, everybody, just so you know, right? So come and talk to my pastor. So he goes, and he did it out of just appeasing her. Like he literally made the statement, I wanted her, after I killed myself, I wanted her to at least know I tried. At least I tried and had this conversation. That was his whole reason for going. He walks in the room, Jesus meets him, and everything changes. And many of you guys would know who he is if I mentioned his name today, because he's gone around the world for the last four decades talking about Jesus and the change that he brings. And the thing that blew this guy away and changed everything for him was, my sins are actually forgiven. I'm cleansed. And he had such regret and such remorse from his past. And so what does the death and resurrection of Jesus do for us? It frees us of our sin and brings forgiveness, which leads us to the question too, but am I really forgiven of all my sins, even the worst of them, right? Don't we act like that 1% is still true of us, you know? And I think about us as parents, a lot of parents in the room today, you know, we buy, our, we buy stuff for our kids, don't we? And we want them to enjoy what we buy for them, and we don't want them... To, just to enjoy like a fraction of what we buy for them. Like if I bought my kids a playground set back in the day, like go on the slide, climb the thing, you know, go up the ladder, sit under the little, you know, the little table there and eat lunch and like, like enjoy the whole thing. You use the rock climbing wall, like don't miss out on any aspect of it. And I think sometimes we as followers of Jesus, man, we, we enjoy 99% of our salvation, but there's that one thing, that one time, that one season that we just aren't yet convinced that we're freed from. And I just love that Paul says that every sin is removed from us. Every sin, every season, every timing, every time frame removed from us, forgiven for all of it. Can we live like that? Can we put our head on our pillow tonight like that? Can we worship like that? Could we go through our work week and summer vacation like that? Stop beating yourself up and know the forgiveness and freedom that the Lord brings. But this here is where we transition to question number three, and you're like, I don't know, man, Doug, it sounds like you're about to contradict everything you just said. You were talking about forgiveness and mercy, and now question number three is you're not calling me a sinner, are you? You're not calling me a sinner. You're not saying things need to change. Well, let's check out Acts 13.40. He says this, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And then he says something that we're going to have to investigate, okay? He says, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Now, what is that part all about? He's quoting from Habakkuk. Habakkuk cried out to God, said, God, move on our nation. And God said back to him these words, but I want to read just these last. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. Okay, so funny story about this, because doesn't that verse sound exciting? 
Doesn't it sound like, oh man, God's going to come do something amazing, something we couldn't even believe. This is going to be awesome. Let's, let's, let's celebrate this, right? The truth is that what God was going to do in that time was bring a time of discipline on the people that they couldn't even believe. And years ago, I heard a pastor talk about how he spoke at a, a, a church's youth retreat, and he was the guest speaker, and the youth pastor at the church had put that verse on everybody's t-shirt, not realizing it was actually bad news, right? And so the kids were all week, they're like, oh, God's going to do something so great we wouldn't even believe, right? He's like, dude, read the context, right? Make sure you know what it's actually saying. That would kind of be like seeing, for anyone who doesn't know anything about Star Wars, a shirt that says, Luke, I am your father, right? Be like, oh, how nice. Luke found his father. No, that's really bad, right? Don't wear a shirt about that. And what Paul's doing is he's warning the people here. He's saying, hey, the Israelites, your descendants, they did some horrible things, and they continued on in their sin." And Paul here is saying, let's respond to God differently. Isn't it funny that we can think about those things that we regret so much and lose sleep over and wonder if God's really forgiven us and then run right back to those very same things? And Paul's going, stop that, right? Now, we're not going to be perfect, but there should be consistent change in us as we come close to the Lord and his spirit is in us, which we've been studying here in the book of Acts. We should be able to see more and more growth. So my question for all of us in the room today and online is, is there anything in our lives that we're just kind of okay continuing on with? As people who do sin, as people who do wrong things, is there anything that we need to say, Lord, this is sin in my life and your forgiveness is great and your mercy is wonderful and my behavior doesn't save me or not save me. Your mercy has done that. But because you've forgiven me, I now want to honor you with my life. We don't like to talk about sin, do we? So a few weeks ago, many of you know, I uh, injured my thumb here with a chainsaw. It's healing up all right. We're getting there. I'm probably going to keep it covered for a while just because I don't want people passing out while I preach because it doesn't look great. But it's getting there. It's much less painful. But what's funny is a few weeks ago as I began writing messages post no thumb, um, I had to begin to dictate to the computer. Now, AI didn't write this message. I wrote this message, okay? So it's really there. But, but it's so amazing we had the technology to do that. So I'm dictating to my computer, and every time I said the word sin, it would try to say something else. It would autocorrect to some or sent, right? And I'm like, even my computer doesn't like to talk about sin. And I feel like that's where we are sometimes. But man, what a freedom that Jesus invites us into. And so am I calling all of us a sinner? Yeah, we, we all sin, don't we? But God has given us this opportunity to, to change and to grow and to respond to his love and to be empowered by him to be different. And so if there's anybody that today just needs to go, Lord, yes, I'm going to call this for what it is. It is sin. It's not a mistake. It's not an oops. It's not cute. Like sin is sin. And today, Lord, I'm going to bring it to you because you have so much better for me. And I don't want to regret today, 10 years from now, like I regret 10 years ago today, right? So Lord, I want to invite you into that. And so, so far, we've seen, yes, Jesus is alive, and he changes everything. Yes, every one of our sins is forgiven. And yes, there is sin in our lives, but the Lord wants to lead us into freedom and uh, just some new victories. Question four, we're really going to get into this. How do I handle what other people think of me? Some of us, it's like, oh, come on, was this like little kid stuff? No, see, I think that this shuts down our witness so much, what other people think of me. And that's the context for this, right? Like, the apostles weren't like worried about what people thought of them because they got their feelings hurt. But what I'm going to say today does apply to that. What they're really worried about is, 
I'm not going to shut up about Jesus just because you don't like what I'm saying. And I'm not going to let you saying something really nice about me inflate my head and make me an egomaniac and stop relying on God. It was all in that balance. So everybody say the word jeers. And everybody say cheers. These are two words we want to focus on today. Jeers are mocks or insults. And sometimes they're just thrown at us because we're people and we live in a fallen world and people are horrible to us sometimes. And sometimes they're thrown at us because we're sharing our faith and talking about Jesus and we get made fun of. And then you got the cheers. You got the people who praise you and, and tell you, you know, how wonderful you are and encourage you. And listen, encouragement is great. It's a spiritual gift. It's important and vital. But what do we do with it, right? Where does it go? And so I don't know if you're wrestling with the jeers or the cheers today or maybe both, but I want you to see how we handle this, other people's opinion, because not only does it shut down our witness, many of us are just tormented by what people have said or done over the years. And I really believe God wants us to walk in some great freedom, and he wants us to be bold in our witness. So let's get into this, verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, so they've been in the synagogue this whole time, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, look at this, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Like, God's moving, right? I mean, imagine all of Hopog shows up next Sunday. That's a great problem to have, right? Pete and Paul are out greeting. They're like, yo, like, bust the roof off. Build a balcony quick because everybody's here, right? And so a lot of people are responding to what God's doing. But check this out, verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, and it's not just the Jews, it's the religious leaders, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on them. So the leaders aren't so thrilled. The people are all about it. The Gentiles and the Jews, are, are many are coming to Christ. But the Jewish leaders are not having it. And here Paul and Barnabas say to them, listen, we told you all about Jesus. You didn't want him, so we're just moving on. We're going to continue to share our faith with other people. You guys weren't interested. We're going to keep going. And then it says this in verse 50. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So the Jewish leaders got the people of influence and they, they riled them up. And if I could just pause here off topic for a second and just say, can we not be these people? Like, can we not be the kind of people who come at each other? And can we not be weak-minded enough to be taken advantage of and, and kind of brought into some kind of offense that then spreads throughout the church? Or Like, we have to guard our hearts so carefully. But how do we learn from this rejection that they're facing? Look what it says. This is so key. Verse 51. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. Everybody say, shook the dust. See, that's so important, okay? And I have to give us a little bit of a guardrail on here, here because there's something important we have to see, or otherwise we're going to mess this up, all right? But I think verse 51 is so powerful. Shake the dust off your feet. So in that day, of course, they wore sandals, and they walked everywhere they went for the most part, and so they had dust all over their feet, literally. And so what the apostles do here is they shake the dust off their feet, or they shake their feet so that the dust falls off, so to speak, and they move on to the next place. Listen, does everybody look at me for a second? Everybody in this room, man, we so badly need to shake the dust off of our feet with some situations, and we just need to keep going, keep doing what God's called us to do. With sharing our faith, we need to keep going. We need to get going again. Some of us have allowed rejection and what other people say about us shut us up. The school place, our neighborhoods, our families, our workplaces, we've got to get going again. 
We got to shake the dust off, shake the rejection off. And I think this is true in all of life, even if it's not about sharing your faith. There are words that have been said and things that have been done to us that we need to shake off so that we can get going and keep moving. Now, everybody say the words limited commission. Okay, so this is important. Now, the way we handle ourselves now in 2023 is a little different than the way the apostles handled themselves then. The limited commission was Jesus telling them to go to the Jews first, okay? And so they went to the Jews first, and some became Christians, and some did not. And so they would go to areas like they just did, and they'd share their faith, and they would shake the dust off their feet kind of as a warning to that place to say, look, we came with the message of Jesus, but you Jews didn't want it, and so we're going to go somewhere else, okay? And we don't live in the time of the limited commission. We all live in the time of the great commission, right? The great commission isn't limited to the Jews. It's, limit, it's everybody, right? That's why it's great, right? And so we're going to go. So I think we can shake the dust off of our feet, but not in a warning type way. And listen, this is really important. Not in a I'm giving up on you type way. Because I think we've seen in the book of Acts, Saul, right? The most hardened person ever, his heart softened and drawn to Jesus. And so I think in our lives, we can shake the dust off of our feet in some ways and say, all right, Lord, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to let that person's rejection of me or mocking me keep me from talking about you or just moving forward to what you have for me in life. But I'm also not going to like cut them off unless there's like abuse or something going on. I'm not going to cut them off. I'm going to keep praying for them. And when led, I'm going to continue to just be a light in their life. But some of us, I'm just, I just feel so heavily today that so many of us, and I can so fall in this category, are just so held back in our witness and in just the direction of our lives and what God has for us by other people's opinions. We got to shake the dust off our feet and move forward to what God has for us. The next verses show us that the disciples were not only um, going, pushing through the rejection, but look at this. It says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love that. They weren't just like kind of getting by here. They were like thriving in the Lord, even during difficult circumstances. They're like, yeah, man, this is really hard. I mean, this wasn't just like my feelings are hurt because someone made fun of me at work or school. This is like, they're, they're going to try and kill me or put me in prison. But we're going to shake our dust off our feet and keep going, and we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and with the joy that God has. So let me ask you a question. Has anybody's rejection of your faith or just you as a person caused you to lose your joy, caused you to lose your direction and your purpose that God has you on, caused you to disconnect from the Holy Spirit as he leads you and directs you? Now, you would think that maybe the apostles learned their lesson, so everybody's going to treat them nicely. But look at Acts 14.1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Come on, right? Come on. This just keeps happening to them. They just keep going, guys. This is what I'm so challenged by. They keep going what the Lord has for them. They keep going in their witness. Verse 3, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Listen, do you know why Paul and Barnabas could keep going? Because they knew who God said they were. They knew what God had for them. They knew that they were valuable to the Lord. They knew that eternity mattered, that heaven awaited, that salvation was real, that Jesus was alive. And because they were rooted around those truths, they're like, we're just going to keep going. 
You can say what you want to us. You can do what you want to us. We're going to keep going. They were unshaken and unmoved by the hate, rejection, and opinions of others. Man, that challenges me like crazy. I so badly need this. Verse 4, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countries where they continued. Everybody say continued. They continued to preach the gospel. You just couldn't stop these guys. Rejection praise, the cheers, the jeers, the fans, the people who were for them, against them. You just couldn't stop them. Rick Warren, some of you guys may know that name, is a really influential guy. He pastors one of the biggest churches in the nation, and he wrote a book that did all right. Uh, it, it's actually the second most high-selling book of all time, next to only the Bible. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. Really great book. I encourage you to read it. But he helped me understand this concept of not getting caught up with the cheers and not getting torn down by the jeers. Don't get caught up with the cheers, but don't get torn down by the jeers. And it's super challenging. I'm not saying I figured all this out and I have all this worked out, but it's something that God's working in me in process. And we're going to see how this plays out. Look at this. First off, let me tell you, in verses 8 to 10, Paul heals a lame man. Okay, so obviously that's going to get some attention. And then it says in verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So they're like, wow, Paul and Barnabas, you guys are like gods, and they give them God names, right? And so here are the cheers, right, everybody? Here are the cheers that I was talking about, those people that, I I mean, and again, encouragement is great. We all need it, but this is like way over the top, and the question is, is what are they going to do right now? And honestly, everybody, no church is perfect, but we've seen enough lately. Haven't we seen enough in the news about churches that just get so far off mission? And I think a lot of it, and I say this humbly because I got to guard my own heart, But I think some of it is these leaders that believe their own best press and their heads get all blown up until they blow up literally, right? And in a day and age where we got to be a bright light and not dishonoring the name of Jesus, man, I'm just so challenged by this. And the response here, look at what happens. Here's them wanting to, you know, Paul and Barnabas are... They want to worship them and make sacrifices to them. And it says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I so love this because they turned the cheers to cheers for God, right? That's our job, everybody. The moment the Living Word Church pastors stop pointing you to God and start pointing you to ourselves, find a new church. Because I put gum in my drinks, okay? (laughs) You need someone a lot smarter than me to help you through life, okay? You need the Lord. We got to keep pointing you to Jesus because he's your hope. And I love that they're like, we're human. He created everything, right? We're human. He put everything in the sea and on the earth. And they keep going. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crop in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. He's going, that's all stuff the Lord did. 
And, and, and you know, the Lord healed, healed the lame guy too. I was just the person who said the prayer, gave the command, but that was the Lord too. And I just love their response because that is what is so needed, right? In, in the leaderships of the churches and just not believing that we're anything special except we're the Lord's. That makes us special, right? And, and Paul and Barnabas weren't thrown off by the jeers or the cheers. They just stayed right where they needed to be and kept going and would not be stopped. It says in verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So even though they put up this big, you know, wait, it's not us, it's God, they still want to sacrifice to them. And then it says in verse 19, here we go, because this is why you can't let people give you your, your, your um, identity. You can't let them give you your credit or your failure or like it just has to be of what the Lord says about you. Look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over, the very same crowd that they were just talking to. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. These are people wanting to sacrifice to Paul, now want to sacrifice Paul. Guys, that's how fickle people are. The person with the cheers turns into the person with the jeers really quick. That's why we can't let either stop us. We can't let either get in our way, both in our relationship with God and our testimony, but also just our day-to-day, what the Lord's calling us to. I think so many of us are off mission because of what somebody said or what they think. Verse 20, but after the disciples had gathered around him and he got up, so a miracle happens, he's just been stoned and he gets up, went back into the city. Everybody say back into the city. Back into the city that they just stoned him in. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Not stopping these guys. Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. The guys getting made fun of and beaten and left for dead are encouraging everybody else. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas then choose and pray for and commission some elders, and they go back to Antioch. And here's how the chapter ends, and this is where we're going to stop today. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Why would I believe that Jesus is back from the dead, and what does his death and resurrection do for me? Well, David's grave is still full of David, and Jesus' grave is empty. And Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything for us, forgiving us. Question two, yes, even the worst of our sin, every sin, not a percentage or a point of a percent left for us to continue to beat ourselves up over. And yes, we are sinners, question three. Yes, we are. But we have a great God who invites us into forgiveness and freedom and starting to live in a victorious way. And how do we handle what other people think of us? We don't get caught up with the cheers or torn down by the jeers. We know who God calls us to be, and we just stay on that path. We stay filled with him. We stay filled with his joy, and we keep on doing exactly what he calls us to do. We shake the dust off our feet. We shake the insults off of us. We shake off the trauma. In the name of Jesus, we get healing, and we come close to him, and we find what we need, and we stay the light we're supposed to be, and we stay on the course that he has for us. Next week, the story continues. But if we live like this this week, let me tell you where we'll be. We'll know that Jesus is alive. We'll live like every one of our sins is forgiven. We'll we'll not continue on in sin, but respond to the life-changing power of Jesus, and we'll be secure in him, knowing the value he gives us, not caught up with the cheers or torn down by the jeers. We can't let anything stop us from what God's called us to do.
I want to tell you one last story about a woman whose name I don't know. I don't know her name because her name and identity are protected. She spoke at a huge conference, and she was introduced by a different name. She's a four-foot-six elderly woman in probably her 70s. She walked on stage. They said no photographs, no videos, no posts. This was a woman who had lived in North Korea. She escaped to China, was captured and brought back to North Korea and imprisoned for three years just simply because she escaped. They didn't know she was a Christian or she would have been executed on the spot. You can't have a Bible. You can't pray. You can't say the name of Jesus or share your faith. She's in this prison. God begins to put on her heart to share her faith with somebody. She shares her faith. This woman puts her trust in Jesus. They begin to meet by the toilet because it's the nastiest place in the prison, having quiet little worship services where they'd whisper praise and they would pray together. The cell that they were in was meant to have 50 women in it. It had 150 women in it. They would lay down at night. If you got a spot on the floor, you got to sleep. If not, you had to stand. You got up to go to the bathroom, someone would come and take your spot, and now you had to stand. They were beaten and tortured. God begins to put on her heart to share her faith again. More and more women are getting saved. They were beating in the toilet. Someone would come in and disrupt their service. They'd pretend that they were just talking, say, oh, please go ahead of us. We're going to stay here and talk for a while. And then they would leave and they would continue their church service. She's interviewed on this stage after being released and escaping again to China and being able to come eventually to America. And she was asked what her main reflection was on the time that she spent there. And this is what she says. I thank God for my time in the prison. For how would the people in the prison know Jesus if he didn't put me there? Nothing can stop us. We can't let anything stop us. What people think, opinions, rejection, praise, cheers, jeers. We can't let anything stop us. The hour is short. We want to continue to just go toward the Lord and be used mightily by him. Are you off mission today because of somebody else's opinion? Is your heart broken today because of somebody else's opinion? Is your head blown up today because of somebody else's opinion? Know who the Lord says you are. You're special because you're his. Live from that place and help others find the hope of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, I'd love for you to pray with me in just a minute. He loves you. He wants to free you, and he wants you to be close to him. He wants to use you mightily in other people's lives. Let's pray together. Would you stand with me while we pray? But don't tune out. Stay focused in as we just pray now. So, Lord, I thank you so much that we can leave here today knowing that Jesus is alive. And I want to just start our prayer right there. So if you're here today and you came into this place or are watching online and you don't know Jesus, and you want to know Jesus, would you just pray with me now? Pray this. Jesus, thank you so much for dying in my place. And thank you that your body is not in that tomb anymore. Thank you that you've risen back from the dead to save me. And I thank you that you're the one who tells me my value. You're the one who tells me that I'm special and have purpose. You're the one that I look to to direct my life. And Holy Spirit, fill me now. Thank you that every one of my sins is forgiven, even the worst. And I thank you, God, that Holy Spirit, you want to lead me to more and more victory and more and more freedom from those patterns of sin. So help me, Jesus. Thank you. Some of you are in category two and you're just so beating yourself up. You're so stuck on a, a season of life, a little percentage of a time in your life where you sinned and were far from God and you just cannot believe you're actually forgiven. 
can't live like it. You can't worship like it. Let's pray about that. Jesus, we praise you that it is all forgiven, Lord. God, yes, guilty of all, but forgiven of all. It's not that we're not guilty of it. We were guilty of it, but also forgiven. Debt's canceled, sins canceled. So thank you. May we walk in that today, Jesus. May we live like that this week. May we put our head on our pillow tonight, free from every sin. Category three, those of us who are just kind of okay in our sin, kind of okay with it, kind of just squeaking by and not really paying too much attention to those areas of our lives. And maybe as we've been looking to the Word of God today, it's been highlighting some areas of our heart and life that we need to say, God, I'm just going to call this what it is. This is sin. And I'm going to ask you, God, to help me not remain in it like the Israelites did, God. Lord, I want a new season in you. Freedom. Do it, God. Bring breakthrough. Change me. Put it at your feet, Lord. Maybe some of us are in category four. Question four. Other people's opinions, they just own us. They own us. They keep us quiet about our faith or our hearts are broken. The rejection runs deep or the praise has been great and our heads have exploded and we think we're God or that's just a step down. But God, we we come now and we, we say, God, we don't want to be caught up with the cheers or torn down by the jeers. God, we want to be right, right where you have us, God, in that beautiful place as your children, accepted and loved and valued and cherished and gifted and anointed. And so God, give us boldness as a church, God. Let this be a, a church prayer, Lord. Boldness in our workplace, boldness in our schools, boldness on summer vacation, boldness on vacation, boldness in our families, our neighborhoods, God, our friend groups, God. Will we get made fun of? Yes. But keep us going. Keep us going. Let that little four foot six, seven year old woman be an amazing example to us. And nothing would stop us. So help us and heal us. In your name we pray. Amen.